Well, bless the Lord. Give Jesus one more big hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. Well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him that's a beautiful Christmas smile you're wearing this morning. And you may be seated. We've had a tradition in our church probably, I don't know, 15 years or better, where in the Christmas season we, uh, uh, we adopt someone. We adopt our missionaries in Mexico, Larry and Mary Lou Myers. And uh, Brother Larry is a, a, a good friend of this church. Uh, he's a spiritual father to me. He's an overseer in our church. And uh, we just bring them down here because they spend most of their time hanging out in the southern part of, the, southern part of uh, Mexico and throughout the, 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 the place there. But I want to encourage you as you listen to him this morning. Uh, it'll be hard to tell this, but he's a little bit older than me. And I like older preachers. Now, I'm old, okay, but I like older preachers. And let me tell you why. I like an example to follow. I like, I, I, I like to look at someone's life who've been married to the same woman. How long? Can you remember? 50, over 50 years. I, I, I listen to someone who has integrity after how many years in ministry? All right. Long time. More than five decades of your life, but still has integrity. Listen, has character has the season of life, has been able to see in life the good and the bad and what goes on, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but still has faith in God, still walking strong, and has a commitment to finish strong. Because let me know it's not the way you start the Christian life. It's the way you end it. So I want to encourage you to give a big hand today for Brother Larry Myers as he comes and open your heart to him. resto de ustedes ya pueden salir. Do you think I, I look like I'm older than Pastor John Miller? I'm a very good friend. He's a, he's a, he's a plastic surgeon. And for 20 years, he's worked with us in the western side of Mexico in the Acapulco area. So one day I said to him, I said, Doc, you think you can do something with this? He looked at me and he said, yep. And have enough left over to make me a pair of boots. I want to say one more thing before you, want you get boots? going. You want boots? No, I, yeah. Actually, I do. I need some cowboy boots. I, I want to say something he won't say, and this is to, to, because I want you to know that a life of significance is what we all want to have. We don't want to just get through life. We don't want to just have a lot of fun, but we want our life to matter for something. Brother Larry started out in his 40s. He was a pastor for several decades in the Assemblies of God. In his 40s, he was sensing that God wanted him to go to Mexico and be a missionary. And the assembly said, you're too old and you don't know the language. But he said, we've got a problem, though, because God told me to go. So, now listen, when a guy just gets up and relocates with no money, not knowing where he's going, I mean, have me know life is not easy for a while. He's got stories about pushing two tires, both flat tires, down a gravel road in the middle of the night, wondering, you know, how I'm going to get to the next place. But to the glory of God, after 30-some years, there are hundreds of churches from northern to southern Mexico, uh, hospitals, orphanages, 
you know, I mean, helping people throughout the poor, the poor in this hemisphere. And uh, God, I just wanted to say that because not, you know, certainly you're not going to brag on yourself, but I wanted you to know that a life of significance is what we all want to have and what we all want to embrace. I took a trip with a dear friend, a, a, a dentist, and I cannot relate to this at all in my American way. They were pulling teeth. I mean, they weren't doing crowns and cosmetic things, but this one woman, every tooth in her head, top and bottom, was rotted to the gum line. Now, now you think about when you have a little cavity. Every tooth in her head was rotted to the gum line. He pulled every one of them out of those little dry sockets. There's people in the world, listen, that we need to be concerned about, and he's a guy that helps us go down there. So I just wanted to say that. Take extra time. Son, are you through? Then let the old man talk. John Miller's very good friend, Sam Walker, introduced me to his congregation in a city near in Beaumont. He said, folk, I want to present to you the oldest missionary alive. <laughs> Lord, help me. Good to be here. On my 60th birthday, it was a surprise birthday party. And I looked out over the people who had come, and I said, you know, this looks like my funeral. I know who's going to be coming. This is my funeral. That was 15 years ago. I look out now, and I know it's my funeral. But I'm glad. Glad to see you. Glad to be here with you. Glad to be John and Linnell's friend. Glad for the help that you've done 20 years in Mexico. Glad that Jan is here. No, she came from a funeral. Dan and Patty Moore, where are you? Just lift your hand. I ought to call you up here, but I won't. Just sit down. I want to tell you, you know what I do in Mexico. I've been here many times. And if, you're a, if you're a newcomer and you don't know, find one of these people that's been here a little while and just ask them. They'll tell you. About six weeks ago, I was in Mexico. I was high on a mountain, much like the mountain, Dan, that you and I were on. We was on that mud road up there, and we couldn't make that short turn in that little old two-wheel truck. Dan said, I think you need a four-wheel drive. And I said, Doc, I think you're right. Well, that need was met. I was on one six weeks ago like that. All of this time, I needed more than a four-wheel drive. I had just had something happen to my body that I didn't know what was wrong. My left leg was shaking like this. They helped me down the mountain, put me on an airplane, sent me back to Dallas. Met me at the airline with the wheelchair, rolled me straight into Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. Neurosurgeon, neurologist met me there. They did an MRI and neurologist says, uh, you've got a brain abnormality. Been there since you were born. Blood on your brains. Thank you. I go to the hospital. 
neurosurgeon reads the same MRI that I don't think you have a stroke. He said, I think you've had a stroke. I don't think it's that abnormality. I think it's a stroke. Okay. Our doctor, Dr. Lulu in Mexico, was with me all the time. And this is where I want to thank you for helping provide this doctor. Checking my blood pressure through every single episode that I had. Had nine. The last day I was there, I had nine seizures. She was there. She came up into the mountain just to be with me to check my blood pressure. Great Christian doctor. She said, I don't think it's a stroke. I think it's a form of epilepsy. Thank you. My neurosurgeon said, go back and talk to your private doctor, your personal doctor, your primary care doctor. I go back and I show him all the reports from this neurosurgeon. And he said, I don't think you had a stroke. God, Lord have mercy, I'm paying a neurologist, a neurosurgeon. I'm paying Dr. Lulu. I'm paying a private uh, physician. I'm paying all of that, and they're telling me I've got an abnormality. Most of my friends knew that from day one. When they first met me, they knew something was wrong. And so I go back to the doctor a week ago this past Tuesday. They had done a new MRI. Go back to the doctor, reads them, puts it up on his computer, shows it to me. He said, you got two holes in your brain, and they're filled with water. So if you don't understand my message today, blame it on the water. So most people would have turned around and gone home and taken a nice rest. He said, what are you gonna, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Mexico. When? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes. Because I had promised to go back and bless the little children at the orphanage. I flew back the following day and took every orphan kid, every child, into the stores in Tuxla and let them pick out what they wanted, clothes, shoes, toys, everything they wanted, more than $10,000 of toys, shoes, and clothes. I had friends with me, thank God for friends, that their back pocket sticks way out. Mine, I carry it right here. There's not very much in there. We went up into the mountain. We spent over $1,000 to give little gifts to the little children up there. Why did I go back there? Why did I not go home? Why did I not just take me about three or four weeks of nice rest? Because the need there was greater than the sacrifice here. And I was willing to pay the price. I want you to open your Bibles and allow me to read a few verses of Scripture. And I'm so glad to see our friends, many of them. I'm so glad to see you here. 20 years we've walked the road together. 20 years we've accomplished, uh, God has accomplished a lot. We take no credit. We take no honor. We don't take any glory. I don't give you an ounce of credit or glory, although you spoke two wonderful conventions this year. 
because you'll join me and we'll give it all to God, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. But I will say thank you. Open your Bibles, and I'm going to read several scriptures to you this morning, and I'm going to take my time. There's no limit as to the, uh, to the ending of, of this service. We, we can just go on and have a good time. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. Understand who Nehemiah is. He'd been taken captive from Jerusalem. He is now serving in a king's court. In fact, he's actually the cupbearer to the king. He was doing his job and a friend from Jerusalem, after Jerusalem had been destroyed, came to visit him. And in verse 3, they said to me, the remnants that are left in the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Touch with compassion for the needs of somebody else. I did not need to go to Mexico last week. Just came back, came back. What's today? Sunday, Saturday, Friday. Came back Friday night. Got off the plane, drove all the way down here. I did not need to go to Mexico. But the need was greater than my giving up a few days of rest. Nehemiah did not need to go to Jerusalem. But the compassion was so strong. He goes into the king and he said, give me leave, let me go, let, let me go back and help my people. I want you to continue to open your Bibles there and, and read with me. Let's go over into verse 6. Verse 5. And he says to the king, send me to Judah to my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Let me go back. Let me take that responsibility upon my shoulders. Let me do I'm not asking you to do it. Let me go and let me get the job done. Down in verse 10, when Sanballat, the Oronite, Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. It grieved them that there came a man to help the welfare of the children. Can you imagine Satan 
viciousness that it grieves him when somebody steps up to help somebody else that's hurting. Let's go on and read again. Following chapter, chapter 4, verse 2. And he spake before the brethren of the army of Samaria. And he said, this is Sanballat. What do these feeble Jews? Nehemiah came back, organized them, and said, we're going to begin to build a wall. Sanballat, Sanballat sees them and he said, what are these ignorant Jews trying to do? Fortify themselves? But he made one mistake in the following words. Will they sacrifice? The need is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, restore the gate, build Jerusalem again. But will they sacrifice? Let's go on and read a little bit further. And this I want you to listen. Chapter 4. And verse 14, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles, to the rulers, to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Now listen to this right here. It's not just about you. Life is not just about you. Fight for your brethren. You're a part of this church. Everything is going well in your life. Doesn't mean that everything is going well in everybody's life in the church. One man just had his home burned. One man and his wife and four little kids out there. Your house hadn't burned today. Mine did one time. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. And fight for your houses. It's not about you. It's about helping someone else stand and not fall. I went back to Mexico because there was a hundred little kids that had no mother and dad. A hundred little kids that didn't have proper clothing and shoes. A hundred little kids that would not have Christmas gifts. A hundred little kids, all they wanted to do was hug you and love you and hang on to you. The need was greater than the sacrifice. Nehemiah did not have to leave his cup-bearing position. He was comfortable. He was safe. He had all that he needed in life. He, it was there. He had already achieved a place. But he said, the need in Jerusalem is greater than what I'm giving up. Send me. There comes a time in your life when the need is greater than the sacrifice. There comes a time when you look at something and the compassion is, is, is so great, you're willing to step up regardless of the cost. I preached a message this morning. I titled it Because I Can. I'd like to preach it again. 
but I'm not going to. I'm an, I'm an outdoors person. I love the outdoors, and I love to be alone. And so I, determined I, I decided I wanted to go down the Missouri River from Great Falls all the way down. And I called up there, and I said, I need some portage around those big dams. And the lady said, you can't make it. I said, ma'am, she owned a marina at the dam, the first dam. She said, you can't make it. I said, why? She said, you don't understand. These lakes are like oceans, more than 200 miles long, fifth largest lake in the United States of America, four miles wide. What kind of boat are you going to bring? I said, a little flat bottom, John boat. You can't make it. So I bypassed her, and I called the ranger. And he just, he said, send me back an email. He said, you can't make it. You can't make it. Virtually impossible. When I talked to my friend, Rick Brown, Rick Jones, said, Rick said, why are you going to do this? I said, because I can. I know who I am. I can. Nehemiah knew who he was. And he knew what he could do. And he said, the need is greater than my comfort. Send me. Because you can doesn't mean that you will. A lot of people can and don't. I have had so many people tell me, I could do that. Well, I wrote a journal on 1,500 miles through Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Storms after storms, I wrote a journal on that. You say, I can do that. Well, send me your journal when you get back home. You see, a lot of people say, I can, but they don't. Unless you see a need and feel compassion for that need, and you're willing to step up and pay the price and sacrifice to meet that need, you can, but you don't. Are you following me? A man sat on his front porch and ate sumptuously every day. I'd love to have the ability to do all of that. Dressed in fine linen. I don't care for that, but give me some blue jeans. But fared wonderfully every day. Had the ability for anything in life that he wanted. Sitting on his porch and looking down the driveway to the gate there in the front of his house with a poor man every day lying there waiting for somebody just to give him enough food to make it through the day. The man that sat on his porch had the ability to help the man that was at the gate. But because he could didn't mean that he would. He never even gave a glass of water to the struggling, hurt man at the gate. And so having the ability to do something and not doing it doesn't impress God. Having the ability to do something and not do it doesn't impress me a lot. Does it impress you, Pastor? Not very much either. I didn't think so. So when you see the need, 
when you see the man's house is burned, when you see his little children are standing there, when you know they don't have it for Christmas, when you see that, let it give you a heart-touched feeling and reach out and take those little kids for Christmas. When the need is greater than the sacrifice, you can expect, when you reach out and start to do something for God, you can expect opposition. Not going to be easy. You can expect opposition. Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, begins to organize the people, begins to build the wall, and then the mockery and all begins to hit, begins to come from Sanballat, Tobiah, and others. Satan doesn't like it when you feed the children. Satan doesn't like it when you care for the needy. Satan doesn't like it when you mess up what he's trying to destroy. He doesn't like it. But when you can see it with the compassion and stand up and be willing to meet that need, then you can say, I can and I did. Mm. Esther was also in a position, wonderful, beautiful position. Little Jewish girl, but she happened to be chosen queen, married the king. And so news came in that the Jews were about to be destroyed. And here she is sitting on the throne with her husband. The need was that on a certain day, all of the Jews that had, were living in the land that had been in captive and all were going to be annihilated, all of them. Now, she can do one of two things. She can go back into her dressing room, and all the maids go back with her and say, touch it up a little bit. I don't like this side of my hair. I don't like this way my clothes are fitting. Take care of me. But she said, give me three days. I'm going to fast and pray, and all of my maids are going to fast and pray, and I ask you to fast and pray with me. She was seeing the need of thousands upon thousands of her people dying, being slaughtered, murdered. She was seeing that need. And the more she understood the need, the deeper compassion she had. And finally, she said, I've got to do something about it. I have to give up who I am. Give up my position if necessary. I have to stand. If I die, I die. But I'm going to the king in behalf of my people. Oh, God. How precious. Doctor said, you got two holes in your brain. Why are you going to Mexico? because i got a hundred little kids down there waiting on me. Sometimes the need is so great, you don't even look at your sacrifice. The compassion is like, a, is like a magnet. It's pulling you there, pulling you towards the need. Because you can doesn't mean you will unless you can see the need and have compassion for that hurting people. You remember the man who fell among the thieves? On, on, on his way down. You remember the, the two guys that came by? You remember the priest? You remember the, the Levite? You remember walks right on by, 
walked, <coughs> walked on by, saw the man, but never had the compassion. There came that one Samaritan that saw the man stop and did everything that he could to restore the life to that man. Because you can doesn't mean that you will. Two men passed that crippled man, had saw it, neither one had compassion. Both had the ability. Both could have done what the Samaritan did. Either one of them could have reached down and bathed his wound. Either one of them could have helped him. But two of them saw the same thing but had no compassion. Because you can doesn't mean that you will. Esther said, I'm going. It's against, it's against the law for, for me to walk into the king. I can't do it unless he asks for me. I can't. He, he can take my life. But it doesn't matter. You see, some things are greater than your life. It's not just about you. It's about what you are for, what you're here for, why you're here. You're a part of something a lot bigger than yourself, a lot bigger than yourself. And she said, I go. If I die, I die. But I'm going to go. And she went. And she met the need of the people, of the Jewish people there. Saved them. There comes a time in life that the need is greater than the sacrifice. Moses was on a mountaintop with God. God was mad. You think God, people say God is love? Boy, sometimes God gets angry. Sometimes God gets downright mad. Sometimes you don't even want to be around God like Moses was that day. God said, Moses, I'm upset with the people that you brought out of Egypt. I'm mad. I'm going to destroy them. I can raise up a people for you. So you just sit over here. Don't worry about it. Just relax because I'm about to do something that's very bad. I'm about to destroy those people that you brought up out of the land. Moses did not have to stand up. He did not have to stand between God and his people. He could have relaxed, and he could have said, okay, God, there you are. Do what you want with them. But there comes a time that the need is greater than the sacrifice. Moses steps between God and man. He looks up at God. He said, wait a minute. Ooh, like Mel Tillis, wait a minute, God. To begin with, they're not my people. They're yours. Secondly, I didn't bring them out of Egypt. You did by the power of your right hand. And the third thing that he said to God, he said, repent of the evil that you think to do against your people. What a sacrifice, knowing that in a split second, God could have just yanked his life right out. And he could have said, son, don't you ever talk to me like that again. But the need that Moses saw was greater than what he was willing to sacrifice. And he stood between God and the destruction of those people. And the Bible says God relented. Some, trans, uh, some uh, Bible said he repented of the evil that he thought to do against his people. There comes a time that it's not about you, but it's about the need 
that's there and that need is greater than what he's asking you to, to do. I think of another story. Why did Jesus do what he did? Beaten, blood running down his back, mocked, beard plucked from his face, crown of thorns pressed down on his head, and an old wooden cross thrown across his bloody beating back. And with all the strength he had, he started to climb that mountain. Why? Because he had to? I don't think so. In the garden, he prayed so hard, it was as if it was great drops of blood flowing down from his face. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know why he carried that cross until he could carry it no longer? Simon comes along and carries it. Because he saw the need. A lost and dying world. And he said the need is greater than the sacrifice. He saw Rebecca Miller. He said she's going to need a savior. He saw you, my brother. And he says, a young man's going to come up here and he's going to be in ministry. And he needs a savior. He looked out across time and eternity. And then he said, I could call 12 legions of angels. My father would send them, liberate me, deliver me. He said, but I don't. I willingly give my life. No man takes my life. I lay it down because he loved you so much that you were greater to him than the sacrifice he was about to give. And he gave his life on the cross because he loves every single one of you. You may think that you do not have any ability. You may think that, that you can't do it. You may think that someone else will step up. Jesus did not wait for a second son to be born. Nehemiah didn't wait for a second man to take his place. Esther didn't wait for a second queen to step up. I didn't wait for someone else to go to Mexico to take the gifts down there. There comes a time in all of our lives you have to face yourself in the mirror. And you can say, can I? Will I? And do it. Just do it. Because you can and you will. There's a thread that's woven between every one of these that I've spoken of today, the same thread. You see the need. You feel the compassion. You feel and sense the hurt. Then you step in between that hurt and you say, I can meet that need. I can. And you do it because you can. Will you stand with me, Pastor? Come. Do you understand my message to you today? It's Christmas. Do it. Just 
to it. Praise the Lord. I want to just take a moment or two in the presence of the Lord and for you to respond to God with what he may be saying to you. Lord willing, next week I'll be back here. I'll give you a dozen scriptures and we'll look in the Bible the whole time. But this is a provocative message to help you pause of how you might live the rest of your life. Because here's what we don't know. We don't know how long we will live on this earth. And we don't know how long we'll have health. We don't know how long we'll have resources. Because tomorrow, at one point, won't be like today. But we live under this illusion that somehow we're in control and it's working and everything is going to keep going along the way it is. And oftentimes, there's things that we know in our heart of hearts that God has called us to do, that we know what to do, a need we can make, but we put it off till tomorrow. And I want to encourage you today, because I believe many of us, God is speaking to us today. And I think a great way to respond to this message is simply to say yes to him. Yes to him. And here's how we'll respond. Pastor Nick is going to play. And I wonder if you would just like to offer your life afresh to God and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Whatever you want me to do, I want to give you my life so that my life will matter before it's over. Let's just begin to sing. And if that's you, if you just like to offer yourself afresh to the Lord, I want to invite you to just slip out of your chair and just let's come and stand in the altar, an altar dedicated to God, and offer our lives to Him afresh today. Just begin to sing and don't do it lightly. But if it's what you'd like to offer to God, just slip on down here. Praise the Lord. Brother Larry, won't you come up and just pray over us? I'll dismiss in just a second. Come on up and just pray over the people that are here. One of the great paradoxes that Jesus taught about life, and if you're in the altar, just stay here just a second. I want him to just pray over you. One of the great paradoxes Jesus said is if you want to find your life, what do you do? You lose it. The world says live for yourself, be all you can be, have it your way. But Jesus said if you really want to find life, lose it, which means give it to me. Because if you lose your life, you'll find it. But if you give all your days towards finding yourself, you'll lose it all. Jesus said if you want to follow me, here's the secret. Deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me. Would you just pray over us today and God help I us I will. Our doctor's been with us many years in, in Mexico. She goes to the clinic every week and takes care free of charge of all the little sick people. She goes to a different village way back in the mountains every single week and take care of the little children. But six weeks ago, I was that little child, and I needed that doctor. And I thank God we, have that, we had and still have that doctor. You never know when it's going to come your turn. So while you can, reach out to somebody else. When it comes your turn, God will see to it that someone will be there for you. Father, I cover these wonderful people with your mercy 
and with your grace. I ask you, God, bless them in these holidays. Though the majority of them doesn't need that prayer. Because when we look around the world, we're such a blessed nation. We thank you for that blessing, God. We thank you for the United States of America and all of our problems and all of our errors. Yet we're one of the greatest places on the earth. Thank God. We thank you. Father, touch our hearts that we might reach out to others that are not as blessed. And those that are standing here today that may be going through difficult times economically, bless them, Father. Lord, those that are in great need, Lord, open our eyes to see their needs. Some would not even mention it. But, Lord, I pray that we will sense it. We'll put our arms around them. We'll say, God loves you, and I love you. Father, bless this wonderful church. Continue to use it mightily. And may we, throughout these Christmas holidays, realize it's not about us. It's all about you, Father. And we uplift your wonderful, holy, and precious name. And we say as a congregation, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thanks, the Lord. Give him a big hand. Wasn't this good today? Thank you. Love you too.